0: Welcome to the Bible Foundations program. We're delighted to have you with us again today as we continue our survey and understanding of God's law given to man. God's expectations, a very high standard, A standard that only God has the right to give to mankind. And why does he have the right to give it to us, my friend? Because he is the owner. He is the creator of all things. He's the one who was there before the world began. He's the God who has always existed. He's the sovereign and all-knowing one. He's the all-powerful one. And we must come to him according to his will and plan. We cannot come to him our own way. And that's what he's attempting to teach the Israelites, as we see here in Exodus chapter 20, as God gives his law. We see that God gave a very high standard of expectation. And that standard is so high, it is best described as a standard of perfection. And my friend, that's because God in very nature, in very person and personality and his attributes and his character and characteristics are that are which is described as perfect he is holy my friend he is sinless he is spotless and every other standard there is is compared to him and he is the one to require that perfect standard of himself and so we come to God only God's way we cannot come our own way as much as we try there's no righteousness in ourselves that God can accept And we see that he has instructed us in the first three commandments up till now that are very, very high. Let's just review them for a moment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. This first standard explains to us very clearly that he alone is supreme and sovereign in everything. Let me ask you, my friend, does God have first place in your life? Is there anything that is more important to you in your daily life than, than God himself? Oh, we want to hold our families and our wives and our husbands and and our children in very high position. But my friend, God deserves first place. What about your job, your self-esteem, the things that you think are important? Is there anything in your life that's more important than God? You see, God gave us the standard of perfection to help us to realize that we have lots of other gods before him. What he's saying to us in regard to our families, in regard to our spouses, our children, and all of that he has entrusted to us in a way of life is that these are the things that I've given you. And I don't want you to worship the things I've given you. I want you to worship me. I must have first place in your life. Have you broken that law, my friend? Oh, when we come to God, God's way, we must admit that we've broken that very first commandment before a righteous and holy God. Then he gets down right into meddling. You see, for that very law says, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and your neighbor as yourself. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength and with all thy might and him only shalt thou serve." You see, the standard of God is that which is so high that it's to show us how short we come. It's to show us that we are truly not born with an instinct to know or love or respond to him. We are born cut off from him, and we do not by nature desire to know him. And he says to us, this is my standard. Thou shalt have no other gods before you because he wants us to understand that we're sinners before him, that we do not hold him first place. Now we see the second commandment given in verse four of chapter 20 of Exodus. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now we like to think ourselves as higher than those whom we might call the heathen in the foreign parts of the world. Those who carve graven images and then spend great detail of their lives and great amounts of time in their lives, not only worshiping, but feeding them, putting food in the mouths of uh, hand-carved images that represent the families of themselves uh, and their ancestors. And they plead for these who represent their spirits of the dead to intercede in behalf of them as sickness and death is brought up the river and they don't want to die. They don't want to be doing all of these vain rituals, but they don't know any other way until somebody comes and tells them about God. You see, well, you and I like to think that we're, we're not that kind of people. We're not going to create images that we'll bow down and worship. Certainly we're more educated than that. But we are guilty of continually building an image of God that fits our understanding rather than adapting our understanding to the truth of the Bible, to what God says about himself. You see, perhaps your image of God is a little different and fits your understanding just a little better. Perhaps your image of God just suits yourself. You see, you've created him in your mind to uh, just be the kind of a God that you think he ought to be perhaps your god doesn't mind a little lie once in a while well a little bit of lust here and there that's not that's just human you see that's just normal that's just nature taking its course and besides that the god of uh, of man's mind today so often says well my God wouldn't send anybody to hell. My God wouldn't create a a lake of fire for those who were disobedient. My God is a God of love. Well, my friend, that's what the Bible calls creating an image of God. Even in your own mind, you see, whatever does not line up with God's description of himself in the Bible, my friend, is a false God. And it's a graven image that you've engraved into your own mind to try and Make yourself look before, look good before your own God. And that's not going to be acceptable to the righteous and holy God who is now describing himself to us as he gives his laws and expectations to us, his standard of perfection, that he is to be first place in all things. And then when we left off last time, we were talking about verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh in his name in vain. Oh, my friend, there's so much disregard for God today. Even the name of Hitler, as evil as he was, is not disrespected as the name of God is in our society today. It's common to see people who are up, upset with this, that, or the other thing, damning forever in the name of God, whatever the slightest thing might be that seems to get in their way or causes some kind of objection to them. Even among people who are church people today, the phrase, oh my God, is so common in our thinking that we hardly even realize we've said it any more And it's disrespectful, my friend, for it's taking the name of God in vain. You see, my friend, if we've used the name of God, which is holy, his name is holy in any manner of that nature, the scripture tells us that we're a blasphemer and we will not enter the kingdom of God. Now let's move on to the fourth commandment. In verse eight of Exodus chapter 20, we, re- we read, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, thy son, thy thy daughter, nor thy man servant, nor thy maid servant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blesseth blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. You see here in the fourth commandment, God told the people of Israel to keep the seventh day as a special day of rest, just in honor of him, the one who created all things in six days. Now, do you remember that what God did on the seventh day after he finished creating the heaven and the earth? Do you remember what he did? He rested because he was finished. He had finished everything that he had planned to make. And the Lord told Israel that they should rest on the seventh day so that they would remember God and that God alone is the creator of all the earth and everything in it. You see, God is the only rightful owner of this world. Satan and his uh, evil spirits and devils have uh, taken over this world uh, for their own. They're imposters, my friend. It does not rightfully belong to them. And God is the one who gives life to all things. He gives the rain. He gives the sunshine on earth and so that everything will grow. And he alone is the creator, the owner, and the provider of all things. You see, Satan is control of most people in this world, but the world still belongs to God. Psalm twenty four verses one to one and two says The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Psalm thirty three verses eight and nine tell us Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake and it uh, and it was done, and he commanded and it stood fast. You see, my friend, this is telling us that all who have looked to or depended on anyone but God as creator and giver of all things have disobeyed God's command. In today's world, there is no time to stop, it seems, and give reverence to God. One day is as another, and we continue in our disrespect without thinking of our mighty God and our almighty creator and owner of our very life and breath. Well, let's see how we do on the fifth commandment as we read it together. Verse 12 of Exodus chapter 20 says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now let's look at this honestly, my friend. Have you always honored your parents in the way that's pleasing in the sight of God? Perhaps we need to ask God to remind us of the sins of our youth. Ask God to remind you of the sins of your youth. Perhaps you've forgotten about the disrespect as a teenager. Perhaps you've forgotten about your ill favor toward your parents and how you thought that they were just people that didn't know anything. They certainly didn't live in your generation. This, the fifth of God's commandment says that children must respect and obey their parents. Children who are disrespectful to their parents are sinning against their creator. You see, anyone who disobeys this command is sinning against God, not just sinning against your parents, my friend. You've broken the laws of God. You see, none of us have obeyed our parents completely. What about some of the examples we can think back on? Sassing them back, talking back to them, ignoring them when they speak, arguing with them, disobeying them, crying to get our way. Oh, the pouting game. Giving them the silent treatment, then being critical of them, especially behind their back, and thinking but not saying, you just don't understand anything. You see, my friend, we've all broken this commandment as well as the others. Now remember, even if we had obeyed nine of the commandments and disobeyed one, we still are condemned by God. Furthermore, God expects us to obey these commandments from the time that we're born until the time that we die. One act of disobedience will be punished by everlasting separation from God. Let's move on to the sixth commandment in verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. Well, perhaps you're wiping your brow and saying, Well, the heat's off of me on that one. At least I've never murdered anybody. And we see that in the sixth commandment, God told them that to kill somebody was sin against him. And the reason it is, however, is because God is the creator of all people. It's God who gives life to every person. And no one has the right to take another person's life unless God says so in his Word. God also makes it very clear in his word that if a person hates someone, he has committed murder in his heart. So much for wiping the sweat off your brow and being out from under that one. Is there anybody who has not had murder in their hearts? My friend, if you're honest before God, you'll think about someone who's offended you, and you'll realize that murder is very quick to come into our hearts. The hatred that comes into our hearts is the same as murder, you see. God says that if a person wishes to kill somebody, he's already a murderer and is condemned by God. It reads like this in Matthew five twenty one and twenty two, Ye have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause, shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. You see, according to the word of God, if we so much as even curse a person, we have committed murder in our hearts. God judges us, not by just what we do, but what we really want to do. You see, God knows the very motives of our hearts. Because he knows our hearts, he knows our motives. In Hebrews chapter 4, Verses 12 and 13 we read, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and the morrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, God's word is like an x-ray. It goes right down into where we don't even want to see. We don't want to look at the mirror and see these things in our hearts. As we look in God's word, that's what happens. We see that this is the very intent and heart and the heartbeat of ourselves at times. We are sinners before God. You see, we cannot stand in our own righteousness because there just isn't any there. There's none righteous. No, not one. That's what God's x-ray machine says of us. Now the word of God gets even more personal in the seventh commandment found in verse 14 of Exodus chapter. 20. It says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. In this, the seventh commandment, God says that it is sin to have any sexual relationship with anyone except one's own wife or husband. That's what it says, my friend. It says that God calls it sin to have a sexual relationship with anyone outside of your own wife or your own husband. And my friend, the punishment for all sexual sin is everlasting separation from God. Now let's remember, after God created Adam, he gave Eve to him to be his wife. And God said that because they were married, there were no longer two people before him. They were now just like one person. Husband and wife belong one to the other, and they must live only with one another, you see. Many people today will tell you that this commandment is old-fashioned and out-of-date. But God has not changed, my friend. Sin is still sin, and God has not changed his mind about adultery. Adultery and all types of sexual sins are also committed in the mind. Let's read about that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Here we read, Ye have heard that it was said in time of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You see, the purpose of God's word is to expose us to the fact that we are sinners before God and we need God and we are helpless to save ourselves before him. You see, God says that if we so much as look at someone other than our own husband or wife, and want to have a sexual relationship with that person that we have already broken this commandment. When we do this, you see, we have not just sinned against that individual, we've sinned against God. And he knows every one of our thoughts. Every sin will be judged, even if it's only committed in the mind. Does that make you tremble before God, my friend? It sure makes my heart tremble before God, and it should make yours. Let's move on to the eighth commandment. Verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. In this, the eighth commandment, God says that they, the Israelites whom He's instructing here, and to you and I as well, that we must never take anything that belongs to someone else. God is the one who gives each person the right to own and to keep property. You see, Acts chapter 17, verse 25 says, That is God that giveth life, to, that giveth to all life and breath and all things everything that we have is a gift to us from god if a person takes something which belongs to someone else he's sinned against god not just that individual you see even if a thief gives back the thing that he stole or even compensates the person for the thing which he stole that will not satisfy god for the sin of stealing you see god is one whom we're to deal with here. He sees right into the heart. And he says the punishment for stealing is everlasting separation from God. And he sees and he is not satisfied by our compensating the person that we've offended. What he's concerned about is that we meet his standard. And we've got to understand that God will not accept any payment for sin except death. You see, the punishment for stealing is everlasting separation from God, and the payment for for sin is death, and God will not forgive sin unless the full payment or punishment of death is paid. Even if a person desires or plans to steal something but doesn't do it because he's afraid of being caught, he's still guilty of stealing before God. God will never forgive sin until it's paid for in full. God will punish every sinner, my friend, all sinners, for the evil things which they planned to do, even though they were not able to or simply just didn't do them. Now let's move on down to the ninth commandment, which is verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. God is telling us here that we must always tell the truth about everything. He's telling the nation of Israel as he tells us in these very commandments that he is God and he never lies and he commands us not to lie. You see, Satan is the greatest liar there's ever been. He's a liar and a thief and a murderer. He lied to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he lied to our forefathers, and he's still telling lies to people all over the world. Satan is the father of all those who persist in telling lies. My friend, this shows us our desperate need before God because man is a sinner and he needs God and he's helpless to save himself. Let's look at some of the examples. Some people make false accusations against other people. The motive behind these lies may be jealousy or angry anger or hatred. And the lies are intended to cause the other person harm. Sometimes people start rumors and make up stories. Other people come along and add to them after they've heard them. And many people just love to gossip. Now, what may begin as a true incident is often distorted or expanded to include things that are simply not true. And the Lord is telling us here in his word that all of this is lying and is sin against God. Not just about the people that are involved. It's not just sin against them, but it's sin against God, my friend. Some people do wrong things and then lie to cover up what they've done. Even even when they're brought into court, they still tell lies. And many people have escaped punishment here on earth because they've lied and people didn't know that they were lying. But we can't hide lies from God, my friend. God always speaks the truth. He knows the truth about everyone and everything. But you might say, what about little white lies? My friend, there are no such things as little white lies. A lie is a lie. And God hates lying, and he will punish all lies. He will punish all liars. You see, the question comes right down to you and I. Have you ever lied? Have you ever lied? What does that make you? Well, my friend, you say a sinner. Yes, lying makes you a sinner. But you know what? That's not what God calls you. God says that if you've lied, you're a liar. And he wants us to admit that we are such before him. You see, it's one thing to just impassively call yourself a sinner because all have sinned, right? But when God puts the finger on us and says, you've lied, that makes you a liar. Do you dare to say before God, yes, God, you're right. I am a liar. Would you dare to say that before him today? Now let's move on and read the 10th commandment in verse 17. It says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Oh, my friend, when it comes to this commandment, we lie to ourselves so subtly, but covetousness is the very root of all of our hearts. It's what we really are after, that personal greed, that personal gain, that desire to have that which is not ours. Even if somebody owns it or doesn't own it, we look around and we see and we want. One of the basic traits of man is that we are never satisfied. You see, we're never satisfied with what we have. We're always wanting more. And God's 10th commandment says that the people, the Israelites and you and I as well, that we must not covet. That is, we must not want what other people have. You see, this was also Satan's sin. He was proud and envious of God's position. Now, many people are like that. You see, that's who we reflect. Many people are greedy and jealous of others' possessions. They dislike those who have more than they have, and they covet other people's property. They're never satisfied with what they have. You see, in their minds, they're a little bit angry because they don't have what someone else has. Instead of being satisfied, many people have the urge to continually upgrade in today's language. They base their ambitions upon what they think others already possess. For many, this is a very subtle sin, you see, keeping up with the Joneses, and that's what that really is, just another form of coveting. You see, today in advertising, people are sold on coveting. We're advertising in such a way today that we're goading people to covet. Day in and day out, we're faced with pressures to want more and to buy more so that we can be like the image portrayed on the television or the printed page. Why are so many people deeply in debt with credit cards today? You see, that's our covetousness. Coveting has become the mark of prestige and the social status in our very culture today. But my friend, God has not changed his mind about coveting. He will punish all coveting because he says it is sin. Oh, my friend, God is holy and righteous. He has the right to send the standard and the standard for payment for sin is death. The death penalty is the payment for sin, and God will not be relieved of that. He will not be taken away from that. That is his word, and that is the final judgment for sin, my friend, and we've got a major problem because of it. Now, perhaps you'll remember in our very first lesson together at the beginning of this broadcast last December. We understand that God deals with this very problem of sin. You see, there's great confusion about how the Bible addresses the topic of sin throughout the scripture. It addresses three main areas. First of all, it addresses what God has done so that people can be saved from the first great problem that sin has caused. We're not yet to the point of what God has done to set people free from sin that is controlling their lives. That'll come later on. We're not yet... uh, concerning ourselves with what God will do so that people will be completely free of sin and all the problems that it causes, that day will come. But we're dealing today, and we're dealing throughout these basic foundational truths with what God is doing so that people can be saved from the first great problem that sin has caused. What is that first great problem? Is that we are all sinners before God, and that man is absolutely unhelpable in himself. He cannot present himself except to God. He needs God because he's helpless to save himself. And that God is holy and righteous he does not change his mind he demands death as the payment of sin and as we've seen as we've gone along here that the sinner the one who has break broken so much as one of God's laws is due for the death penalty before God that death penalty must be paid for sin my friend and these are the Ten Commandments which God has given to the Israelites and he's given them to us these are God's Commandments which are the same for all people everywhere. Now let's remember that if we try to repay people for the wrongs that we've done, or even if we bring an offering to church to pay for the sin of adultery, or even if we serve a prison sentence for stealing, that does not mean that our sin, our debt of sin to God is paid. You see, the payment for sin is death everlasting separation from god in the place of punishment which he has reserved for uh, and prepared for satan and the, and his followers all sin will be punished by god and god has not changed his mind about sin my friend now let me ask you has studying the word of god changed your mind about sin What do you think about the Ten Commandments at this point? You see, God simply has brought us his standard uh, of expectation, his standard of perfection to show us that we are helpless before him, that there's no way we can come to God on our own. You say, but I've done my best to live up to the Ten Commandments. Well, my friend, if you're honest before God, you have to admit that you've broken one, if not all of them. If anybody's honest before God, we see very quickly that we come short of God's standard. We have missed the mark, my friend. We've missed the expectation that God has. And the only thing we can do is throw ourselves helplessly on God and beg for his mercy and recognize that he is promised the hope of a deliverer, the one who will show us the way of escape in the punishment for death as sin, and that death must be paid. It's either paid by you or it's paid in a way that God shows us at a later time. My friend, there's good news for the one who throws himself on God as a helpless sinner. Have you acknowledged that you're helpless before God to save yourself?